first episode of a podcast about audio drama and the creative process. I'm W. Keith Timms, writer and podcaster, creator of The Book of Constellations. In this show, I listen to the first episode of an audio drama, then have a discussion with the creators about the show, their methods, struggles, and successes. Today, we're discussing the first episode of Dragon Shanty. How about a bedtime story? I went ahead and brought a few classics up to ch- Who's from? Oh! Oh, of course! Oh, well, you're not the lighthouse's first visitor to outgrow our dusty old bookshelf. Time for something a little different, perhaps. Do you think they're ready? What do you think, sweet one? Are you old enough to hear a new kind of story? A fantasy adventure told as a bedtime story. Dragon Shanty is the creation of Noelle Rose and Laura Harmon. Telling the story are Zalara and Hanari, two bards who, after a life of adventure, now live in a lighthouse. The listener is tucked into bed as they recount their tale of dragons, the high seas, and song. Rose serves as the show's writer, composer, and the voice of Zalara, while Harmon produces the show and is the voice of Hanari. In the first episode, Testimony, Zalara tells a story of how she found a baby dragon and was unexpectedly made a traveling bard charged with taking care of it. I spoke to Noelle and Laura remotely from their home in Oregon. Why don't each of you tell me a little bit about yourselves as artists and creative types? My name is Laura Harmon. I am the voice of Hanari on the show primarily. I'm also editor and co-producer for Dragon Shanty. In general, I am pretty new to voice acting. It's something I've wanted to do for a long time, but never really geared up to do my own project. So I've been really excited to team up with Noelle and help out on this project and get my voice out there for the first time. I did some drama back in high school through my schooling, enjoyed acting on the side, but never pursued it seriously. So it's really fun to have those elements back in my life years later. I'm a creative type outside of voice acting for Dragon Shanty as well. I do illustration in my free time, most of that just for my own small personal projects, whether that's for D&D or just to fill out my sketchbook or do some fan art, but something I enjoy on the side as my own thing. So yeah, I primarily have a history in visual arts, so it's really fun to be getting out there in the audio way now. Were you always a creative person, even as a kid? I would say so. Gosh, I have been uh, drawing since I was probably, you know, three or four, as soon as I could pick up a pencil, making little stories at school. I actually had a big fascination with dragons as a kid, too, and just drawing all kinds of dragons. So it's been fun to kind of take that to life in a new way now, doing a fantasy audio drama I did illustration through high school, through middle school, and through college, and continue on with that on the side. You drew our banner on our Yes, I did draw our banner. I've been doing some art for the show as well, and we want to kick that up again soon, I would say, and get some new pieces (laughs) out there as well. Noelle, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us about your background as an artist? My background is primarily in writing. As far as official gigs that I've done, it's been mostly tabletop roleplay modules. And even then, I barely broke the surface of that genre. A lot of this is still pretty new for me, being 
seen professionally as as a writer and a creative instead of just kind of doing it in in coffee shops while people watching and (laughs) you know i uh am the writer creator director of dragon shanty and voice of zalera and i compose the music and of course sing when they're vocals primarily because zalera is the singer in the dynamic so i was definitely kind of a bit of an artsy kid kind of growing up in a pretty repressed sheltered household so i kind of gobbled up any kind of creative media wherever i could get it when it felt like it was something that i was choosing to watch or listen to or whatever you know i definitely grew up with a real like calling not just to enjoy media but to really get my hands in it and to really take part in it and connect with other creative people and i think that's a big reason why i decided to do dragon shanty because I just wanted to get more involved in a community of creatives that seemed really open and accepting. And I was like, okay, this seems like a safe place to kind of dip my toes into the water and really put my my name out there with something. You're both gamers. Yeah. Yes, indeed. (laughs) (laughs) What is it about role-playing games that attracted you? I have DM'd, you know, been dungeon master or game master and led a lot more role-play games uh, as somebody who is drawn to world building and character building. And I've done that more often than I've played in games and enjoyed the game from that side. (laughs) I've always taken a very involved role in actually like setting the scene and, and playing those games. And I think for me, my fascination is psychological. I'm actually finishing up my degree as a children's therapist. I am emphasizing my specialties in play therapy and wanting to put that in the world in a, a productive and constructive way into my future practice and gaming keeps that muscle strong for me. Yeah, and I think for me tabletop gaming is such an ideal way to do collaborative storytelling in such a dynamic interesting way that can really bring in elements that you really least expect at a given time. It can just be so chaotic that that really speaks to me as a pretty chaotic person to lean into that <laughs> energy and to just see, you know, what crazy things players will pull out and then you have to just roll with it literally yeah literally roll with it and just <laughs> and just go with the flow of things i was an old grognard myself advanced dungeons and dragons first edition that came out when i was in uh, late late middle school early high school so i'm aging myself here but um <laughs> but yeah i i threw my whole self into that kind of stuff you know i was kind of picked on as a kid i was the weirdo artsy kid for me the escape into the fantasy world of role playing games felt good because it gave me a chance to get away from the troubles that I had with my peers. I was thinking about that when you were talking about using games with child psychology. During the school year, I also work with a group of high schoolers and volunteer at the local high school. It has been so amazing to see the level of confidence and interpersonal communication skills and the way that builds when kids are able to get into this collaborative creative space together and build a story together i think keith you and i have this in common and laura as well like understanding the power that storytelling has and the impact on our relationships and the world at large and that it's not Mm -hmm. you know just enjoyment but that it's very powerful i love seeing that effect with role play games on younger people who are still trying to figure out what the world wants from them and they can try on different hats through characters and try out different communication styles and do that in kind of a judgment-free zone. Now, well, you're studying child psychology. Laura, did you study arts at all uh, in a sort of formal way? 
I did get a Bachelor of Arts in Community Development. So that was more focused around nonprofit work and mm-hmm. uh, community organizing. But I got to take a lot of electives in there as well. So I did squeeze in some arts classes and take some drawing courses and um, some ceramics to switch it up a little bit. So I've always ha- kind of had that creative undertone going on. How did the two of you meet and start working together? <laughs> <laughs> we actually met at a anime convention that runs in Portland, Oregon called KumoriCon. I was cosplaying as Pearl from the cartoon <laughs> Stephen Universe. <laughs> and Sweet Noel saw me from across the convention center. Like and three times like throughout three the day. Like three times throughout the day. Do you want to pick up from here? <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, no, you're good. I, <laughs> we get a little Zell and Hanari when we tell stories about our life together. Where we cut each other off. And yes. <laughs> it's definitely an inspired aspect of the show. But oh my God. So at the beginning of the con, uh, one of my friends was like, Oh, Noel, you know, another Steven Universe cosplayer. That's a really good pearl. And I was like, that is a really good pearl. And then I kind of just saw Laura across the convention hall like several times throughout the day. And eventually my friends helped me work up the courage to go up to them. Laura is my first lesbian relationship since coming out. I was still very kind of closeted at the time. Mm. And so going up to Laura, I just kind of was like, okay, this is a now or never kind of thing. We just had like the best weekend of what felt like one continuous date. Yeah, it felt like pretty (laughs) instant chemistry. We just hung out for the rest of the convention and met back up the next day. So we just dated long distance for a long time and then eventually moved in together about like nine months later. So what brought you to say, hey, let's make an audio drama together? I think initially uh, Dragon Shanty was written to be a solo project because I tend to get into a bit of an ADHD frenzy with new projects. What started out as, hey, I'm writing a story became, hey, I'm writing an audio drama became, hey, I'm writing all original music for the audio drama (laughs) and, you know, all these other different layers to it. And I felt really bad. I knew Laura wanted to be involved, but I didn't want to uh, thrust all of these tasks and, and aspects of the show on them. I know how I can get. But then Laura was like, I, I really want to take more of a, a, a role in this. And I was like, okay, this is really starting to feel more collaborative than I anticipated initially. And I'm really glad that Laura spoke up and said that because Laura has brought so much personality to the podcast that I think it would really feel empty without them. Yeah, I think having the voice of Nari and Zalera really adds, adds a depth to the story otherwise be lacking. So mm-hmm. I'm really glad that we made the decision to collaborate instead. <laughs> Laura, was there something about working on an audio drama that appealed to you particularly? Yeah, for the last couple of years before we started this project, I'd really been having the hankering to start my own podcast. I mm. I even bought a little microphone for it and everything <laughs> and was all motivated. What were you going to cover? Oh, I didn't even get that far is the problem. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of a creative ball of energy, but I oftentimes lack direction. So I'm still working on building up that confidence to a level where I can pull off a whole project on my own. So collaborating on this was really kind of the key bridge to that. And I feel like going forward, I'm going to be a little more confident in starting my own projects up as well. But over the years, I've really wanted to get my voice out there in a very literal way like this. And podcasting kind of felt like the right way to do it. So it feels like the perfect bridge to be a part of this without having to be at the helm for everything. Tell me about Dragon Shanty in your own words. I feel like everybody goes through this period when they're growing up where all of a sudden the world doesn't seem quite as magical and uh, you don't feel quite as untouchable and immortal (laughs) as, as you used to. 
those moments can really hit us at any age, especially if you're going through trauma as a child, like I did. And I really want to convey a lot of that through this story and uh, the, the healing process that I've gone through. You know, I thought to myself, what if during those times in my life where I was going through this trauma, where I was having these really hard lessons, <laughs> you know, being thrown at me, what if I had these two sweet, sassy ants in a lighthouse overlooking the ocean, surrounded by this lush, beautiful garden with, you know, chickens to play with. And at night, they tuck you in and give you tea and tell you a bedtime story and tell you that, hey, it's okay. In the story, the listener is assumed to be a little bit older, but still, you know, considered a child, but has kind of burnt out on fiction and storytelling and has lost that magic around it. Since you talked about going through trauma as a child, can you talk a little bit about that? I'm curious as to what you went through and how that impacted the way you approach your creativity. Well, I, I grew up queer and I knew that from a young age. And I also knew that my family was not accepting of that. Mm. I spent a lot of time just living in shame and, you know, in an abusive household emotionally, physically, and spiritually, I would say. And then when I was a teenager, I was groomed and married, still a minor, while still a child, to a man that I met through the church who basically <sighs> said he could cure my sexuality and make me right with God by just being the right man at the right time in my life. Yeah, it, it took a lot of time to unpack and even acknowledge that that's what happened and that that's what I went through. I imagine that listeners coming into it probably think, you know, initially Hanari is kind of based on Laura, Zalera is kind of based on me or that they reflect. And and Laura has brought an immense amount of energy and personality to Hanari and really fleshed her out of a character. But in the writing process, Zell and Hanari are both reflections of myself, of me. Mm. And it's really me as a writer telling a love story between these two sides of myself that have not previously meshed <laughs> mm, that I've kind right. of, you know, had a, you know, a little feud inside of me. Laura, what does this show mean to you? I'm really touched by what an emotionally intelligent show it's already coming into being. It's the kind of show that I wish that I would have had to listen to when I was younger. It really showcases intense emotional moments, but handles them with grace and dignity and just gets you to love these characters. And it feels like a big sapphic ball of love. That's just a big <laughs> hug for anybody who needs that kind of energy. <laughs> yeah. And I really like bringing that to life and feeling like, yeah, we're creating this story together. Dragon Shanty is structured as a bedtime story with <laughs> the listener as an insert character, the person to whom Zalara and Hanari are telling the story. Talk to me about why you wanted to structure your tale this way. When writing it, I knew that I was going to be bringing a lot of sensitive subjects to the table. And I think I wanted to bring it in a way that felt gentle and accessible to people, not aggressive and, and in your face. And I feel like there is a need for intense stories told in a gentle, graceful way. I feel like there's a lot that it brings to the table. I haven't really heard another story, I guess, outside of something like Princess Bride, but told <laughs> in a format like this. So it feels kind of dynamic and new. And I really appreciate the fresh take that it brings to storytelling and audio drama. 
And that's what a bedtime story is, right? It's a chance for bonding between the teller and the listener, but it's also a chance to make them feel safe and relaxed and comfortable. And I think that definitely comes through in the story that as you listen, it's very easy to feel comforted. I still want the story to feel big and epic. And it definitely has these moments of dragons and magic to have mystery and intrigue. And when I think back to, you know, the few times I had bedtime stories told to me as a kid, it didn't take away from the comfort and the softness to hear this big epic story about dragon slaying and (laughs) secrets and espionage and everything like that, even though the content of the story was still so charged. I just love that about bedtime stories. I'd always had a fondness for drakes and critters in general, of course. So the fantasy of taking him in, cleaning him up, and tending to his wounds permeated my entire body like a sugar rush. I started pondering aloud as the outermost edges of the sail went limp in the whispering rain. I guess I should at least take you into town and see if anyone's missing you, huh? Maybe you're just a little scamp who likes to run off. Hold up. It's steaming? It's smoking? Drifting embers took bite-sized singes from the cloth, spreading like an ashy rash. And within moments, the sail was in flames. My arms stung from the spontaneous flash of heat. I dropped the bundle into a cushion of wet clover and jumped back. And so did he, gliding maybe a hundred feet away from me before tumbling in exhaustion. Let's talk about the first episode itself, Testimony. Zalara is a young woman who lives on a farm, but she wants to be a sailor. And one day she's leaving the farm and she encounters what she thinks is a ordinary drake that is a sort of dragon-like creature that's not a dragon. But it turns out to be an actual dragon, an infant. This is a big enough deal that she is brought before the Bardic Council. Dragons are traditionally paired with bards in your world who train them and socialize with them. And But what's interesting is the council decides to award the dragon to Zalara, despite her inexperience. What is it about bards? Why did you want to make them the centerpiece of your story? I think it goes back to that love that I have of studying oral tradition and just how humans have passed down stories generation to generation and how much of a powerful impact that has. Everything from the Bible to Mary Shelley and, you know, just all these great pioneering storytellers. I feel like if they've had an impact on society and on culture, that feels very sacred and, and holy in my own personal spirituality. I want to nod to the power that it's had and to people who still filled that role to be bardic. Bards are a big deal in your fantasy world. They hold great power and influence politically. They appear to have some sort of special status. Sometimes bards are just traveling musicians who hang out in taverns and you know play for coins and so forth. You seem to have really given them a position of power and authority in the world that you're creating here. I've always been interested in a story where artists and creators are considered an influential class in that hmm. society. That's always been a really important story for me to tell kind of in a speculative way. As, as an artist myself, you know, we, we don't get paid very much. Um, <laughs> Indeed. And, you know, especially in the United States, it's kind of like, oh, you're an artist? 
that's so cool, but I don't want to pay you for it um, <laughs> kind of vibe. Well, wait a minute. Isn't the arts important? You know, I think they are. And there's plenty of evidence to suggest that places that have strong arts are usually healthier culturally speaking. Yeah, we glorify being exhausted over being creative <laughs> all the time. Right. <laughs> right. I had a discussion with a friend of mine. We were talking about what the ultimate goal of civilization is. And her point was the ultimate goal of civilization is to allow all citizens to make art. That's ultimately what it's supposed to do. That eventually down the line, we will get far enough along where we don't need to depend on human labor to accomplish the mundane things in life which means everyone has the time to create the things that transcend human existence. Um, and I, I like that a lot. You know, I'm like, okay, when can we start? Yeah, <laughs> Indeed, I love, I love that sentiment. <laughs> you know, with the pandemic, a lot of people were unemployed, ourselves included. Um, it's been rough, but we realized that when we weren't working, we were like, what are we going to do when we, when we had all our own time? <laughs> and we immediately went to the arts. Like we were naturally, like primitively drawn to creating things. Yeah, I remember those first few weeks after being laid off, just like leaning majorly into drawing more and even doing mm. programming too mm -hmm. as a creative logical outlet. It makes me wonder like how many people, they buy a guitar and they say, I'm going to learn how to play and then they never do. But if they, if they didn't have to work 60 hours a week, what happens when you get free time? You start practicing your guitar more or drawing more or whatever. Speaking of music, you all do your own music on the show. We do. So every episode has kind of a titular song that's kind of the overall theme of the episode. And that is typically a vocal song with lyrics that's sung so far only by Zalera. All of the background soundtracky kind of music I do as well. I heard the so far there. Does that mean, Laura, that we're <laughs> going to hear you singing soon? We will, I believe, potentially near the end of season one. Mm -hmm. We will see. I've been practicing and learning some basic singing lessons from Noelle because the uh, extent of my experience thus far is just jamming out in the shower. So it's going to be very new for me. <laughs> but I think Noelle's structuring it in a way that it'll be um, well suited for my abilities. So fables have failed you and stories are stale. And you can't ward off monsters wielding just fairy tales. You need stranger than fiction. You need testimony. So I'll tell you the tale of what happened to Is something that popped up in the first episode, and I'm curious. There's a whole section where Zalara is being investigated by the council because of the dragon that she found. And we meet a councilwoman, Panatere, who is Hanari's mother. But she gets really picky about Zalara's last name. <laughs> Zalara has a hyphenated last name, but it's just not just two names, it's actually three. It's her birth mother, her birth father, and then her adopted mother. It's never specifically said in the first episode, but it's implied that perhaps the first three parents are all in one household together with her. So I guess I'm curious as to why you went out of your way to include this particular moment, especially about things like the names and why that's part of the story here. Oh, I don't want to get into too spoilery of territory, but I will say that's a good ear, Keith, and that is going to come back up. But yes, you are correct that Zalera has what is considered 
a taboo and unusual family dynamic that the mm-hmm. council doesn't entirely uh, see as being valid. Why are names important? I think in this case, because the family structure is going to be important mm-hmm. in this world dynamic and socially. And a lot of that is just my reflection, I think, of the world and my experiences in it and how vigilantly the family structure and the nuclear family is monitored and encouraged and stressed in the world. This is your first clue to that being a major factor in the story to come. The term testimony is not only the title of the episode, but it pops up several times over the course of the episode. I don't think that there's anything more important than being able to share your story and get your voice out there and be honest genuine genuine yeah Yeah. in yeah not a fake surface level way but in a deep meaningful way that really speaks to people and i think that yeah noel centering that is just really key to you know the emotional depth of this story and where it's going to continue going i'll tell you what i told the night when she finished her bardic training your most prized possession is your testimony That's what being a bard is really all about when you strip away all the noise. Make time to be yourself. Be sure you're not just telling someone else's story. Because yours is just as big and important and interesting and enlightening and... Well, at the end of this crazy life, is all we've got. And for me, the first time I ever even heard the word testimony, I heard it in church growing up. Not as a as slang term, but in all seriousness, my family was in a cult for a while. <laughs> yeah. And I uh, got out of that, you know, within a few years of turning 18. But growing up, your testimony was like, that is how you are going to draw people in. That's how you're going to recruit people into your faith. And that's how you catch people's attention is by saying, here's what happened to me. And even when I left organized religion and decided to start pursuing my own spirituality, that word never really left my head, that it just kind of stuck with me. And it was one of those things where, you know, you kind of go through a period when you leave something that's toxic, where you just kind of set fire to everything. You burn the bridges, you say, I need to be clean of this. But then things kind of start growing back from the ashes as you're healing from that trauma. (laughs) And testimony was one of those things for me. Like I burned everything, all my bridges, said I'm going to live my authentic true self. What's my legacy, whether I have biological children or adopt or just influence people outside of my family? What's the legacy that I'm going to pass on? And that's my testimony. And I think that everybody has one. And I also firmly believe that anything that's in your testimony is yours to share or not share. Both things are extremely spiritual, powerful, magical. That's magic to me. So this was your first audio drama for both of you, right? Mm -hmm. Correct. (laughs) Yeah. How do you feel about the first episode? I think for me, it's a mixed bag. I am immensely proud of us for getting it out there. I think in a lot of ways, we really shined a lot stronger in our first episode than I expected us to, because I'm a little nervous noodle that over worries about everything. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I think that overall, I'm really proud of us. And I think it turned out pretty strong. Of course, now I feel like since we were both so new to audio drama, 
we just have so much to learn with voice acting in particular and with editing. Just all the steps are so new that, yeah, there is a lot I would go back and change. There's like a take here or there where I'm like, oh, I wish I could redo that take now after the <laughs> fact. But overall, I'm pretty proud of us, I think. You remastered the first episode, right? We did. We released the first episode and then we got some really good feedback, you know, being new to audio drama. And, you know, when we set out to make Dragon Shanty, it was never to get like a bunch of followers or anything like that. It was more just kind of to challenge ourselves and be like, we're going to put our money where our mouth is as far as being storytellers and being creators. When we released the first episode, we weren't paying as much attention to quality. We were just kind of having fun. And then when we put it out there, we were like, okay, this is actually providing us a lot of happy brain chemicals to have this out in the world (laughs) and, you know, to have that validation. And, you know, we like to play coy and be like, oh, we don't actually care if people like the podcast, but come on, like as as a creator, it is so validating and so empowering to hear people resonate with your story. And I think it just goes back to that conversation about testimony. Mm -hmm. But we were like, I think that we should pull the first episode remaster it maybe re-record some of the lines that made us cringe a little bit and put it back out there again and it's still not going to be perfect but um, your brother actually had some really good advice for us I feel like after we released the first episode that's like art is never going to be perfect and if you keep hanging on to it until it is you're never going to release it or do anything Mm, with it (laughs) you know you have to kind of release it into the world to like take shape and so eventually we did that with the first episode and and kind of around the same time we dropped the second episode, we dropped the remastered uh, first episode. It's just a, a lesson in learning to let go a little bit and be like, okay, it's ready as, as it is going to be. It's good yeah. enough. <laughs> Let's let it go out into the world now. How do each of you measure success? Having a project out in the world that I'm a part of after just keeping creative projects to myself for so long feels like success in and of itself. But the fact that we're getting some listeners and fans along the way is really cool. So I'm really looking forward to that success, hopefully growing. (laughs) I think for me, I really measure success. I mean, I think being here is a good uh, measure of success. Not like, you know, on the first episode of like, we're done. We've we've reached our top goal. (laughs) That's it. You you nowhere else to go but down from here. This was really a story that in addition to just being like, you know, a love story to anyone having a hard time, it is a love story to the real life bards of the world. It is a story to the creatives. And I think that for me, I want to actually connect with other creators. I want to see it reflect back in the world, not necessarily in quantity of fans or listeners, but in the quality of the few people who it resonates with. And mm. the fact that I have connected with you over our shared love of hard stories told in in kind ways. Yeah. I mean, this is a measure of success for me personally. And getting so much valuable feedback from other podcasters and making connections with them and gearing up to collaborate with some of them is so exciting in that I feel like I have reached the success that I wanted and everything else is just going to be a happy surprise. Look, Sal. Oh no, how much did they miss? I think it just happened. Now don't you go waking them up again. Now, how about us? We did say we'd take them out early to find the good seashells. That's an excellent point. Guess let's put this fire out. Good night, sweet one. We're glad you're here. We love you. So much. Dragon Shanty is a tale of fantasy adventure told with affection, 
kindness, and wonder. Central to its conflict are questions about love and family, responsibility and individualism, about the tension between being what is expected and being true to yourself. You can listen to Dragon Shanty on most major podcast platforms or see our show notes for more information. The first episode of is written and produced by W. Keith Timms. All the opinions expressed in this show belong to the people who expressed them and not necessarily to anyone else. The theme song is Mockingbird by David Mumford. If you want more information, want to sign up for our newsletter, or if you're an audio drama creator and would like to be on the show, visit our webpage at thefirstepisodeof.com. If you like down-to-earth sci-fi audio drama, check out my show, The Book of Constellations, wherever you get your podcasts. Keep telling stories. It's the only way we're going to get out of this mess. Until next time. Until next time.